The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed being in this show since 2005. Your host is Marty Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California legislature. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit kuci.org slash privacypiracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about medical privacy, and that is such an important issue. And I'm so thrilled because we have invited back one of our wonderful guests that we've had on a couple times before. She's just terrific. We're going to be speaking with Dr. Deborah Peel. She's a medical doctor, and she is the founder and president of Patient Privacy Rights. She's been a practicing physician and Freudian psychoanalyst for over 40 years, and she learned from her practice that no one is willing to share their deepest, darkest secrets with a psychiatrist unless they know that their records will be kept private. So... Unfortunately, in 2003, the HIPAA privacy regulations that everybody's heard about, the HIPAA privacy rights, which really, you'll find out, don't really exist. Anyway, you'll learn that that eliminated patients' longstanding rights to decide who could see and use their electronic medical records. Even today, most of the public, including Congress, doctors, lawyers, patients, are not even aware that your personal medical data is not really private. It's sold and disclosed endlessly without your knowledge, and it's used for corporations and research, and we've talked a little bit about that with Adam Tanner. And um, you don't even get to agree to do that, which hopefully you wouldn't agree to that. Data about your health is the most valuable personal data of the digital age, age, and it's really the scariest to be revealed. Dr. Peel has founded Patient Privacy Rights back in 2004 because no other existing medical or human rights organization was working to defend your fundamental right to control your sensitive medical information. So people, you know, are really, it's, it's really become a crisis. And in fact, in 2016, 89% of Americans withheld important information from their doctors because they were scared. People withhold information that they need for treatment because they're afraid to tell, because they're afraid it might be re- revealed. It won't be kept uh, private. It won't be protected. And they end up putting their health and their lives at risk. And that's why 
Dr. Peel is so worried. She's been a physician for so many years. Ironically, the technology that really was supposed to help us is causing the fear and distrust. And I'm just so thrilled, and I just honor Dr. Peel for all the work and dedication that she has really put forth out there, just pounding the pavement, trying to make a difference. And so, Deborah, we love you, and we are so glad you're joining us today. Well, thank you so much. I'm I'm so pleased to be talking with you again. And uh, yes, and I'm so grateful that you're asking again to to uh, to to talk about this this most critical, most personal information. That obviously anything about your mind, or your body, and your genetics are the most sensitive personal information, and it's being used in ways that in this country lead to discrimination and uh, loss of opportunities. You know, you, you might not know why you never got that job interview because so much really personal information about your mind and body is out there and being sold and traded. And, you know, people think, you know, people still tell me all the time, oh, well, I know that this HIPAA thing that I'm signing at my doctor's office is going to protect my privacy. Help my audience understand how that's really not the not the case. Yeah, it's 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 really sad. People do think that those are consent forms where they're being told that the data is going to be protected, and they're being asked, uh, you know, to to sign this document. But it's actually not a consent form. It, it's very strange. Instead of asking you. It, you know, if your doctor can use or share the information, it's actually a notice. It's a notice of privacy practices. And if you carefully read it, you'll find that it says that it's going to be shared with all sorts of third parties whose names are not given to you, who you have no way of finding out. And it, it actually will tell you that your information is going to be used without your knowledge and without your permission. It's it's there if you read it carefully. But it's, it's like you're saying, Mari, everyone assumes that their doctors and hospitals and even pharmacies and labs are, are going to treat this information as if it were yours and not use it. But it's not true. Yeah. You know, and, and I'll tell you, because I've had to help some people who were victims of medical identity theft, and to try and find out where all this information is, is just, it's impossible. Mm-hmm. It's totally impossible to try and fix this up. And so it'll, it'll appear somewhere, and someone might think that, you know, you have some disease that you don't have, <laughs> and, and then be denied, you know, life insurance. Oh. And if we really get rid of the Affordable Air, air um you know, medical act here, and they bring back that pre-existing condition as a problem for you to get health insurance. What might that do? If you, if, you know what I mean? Absolutely. No, there's there's so much information out there, and people are aware. Um, I think that poll where you saw, you cited that 89 percent of the public, as of the yeah. end of 2016, was withholding information. Some of the information that they that most want withheld are things like uh, mental illnesses, prescriptions, and genetic information, and all of that is not in our control. You know, for example, if you pay for genetic tests or you get screened by 23andMe. 
they actually they give you some information, but then they sell your information to research companies and they use it themselves to develop more tests that right. they profit from. You've paid them for a service, but then they take they take your information, which is actually very valuable, and they use it without you know, without asking you first. so And and then they say that they're going to anonymize it, right? But really and truly, when they have enough information, they can find out who you are, right? Oh, thank you for bringing that up. I, I think a lot of those words from doctors and on websites about health, you know, have kind of put everybody to sleep. If they say, you're right, Mari, if they say, well, it's de-identified or they take off your name or it's anonymized, everyone thinks the data's safe. But it's no longer possible to safely de-identify or anonymize data. It, it, it doesn't work anymore. There's so much information out there about all of us. It all can be re-identified. In fact, I, I don't know if you've had anyone yet on your show talking about the new data protection regulations from Europe that are going to take effect in 20, 2018. Um, over there, they recognize the Europeans recognize that de-identification and anonymization don't work. So they define personal data as anything that, that is tied to you, you know, name, address, date of birth, whatever, and any information that can be linked to you. Mm. So they recognize that de-identification fails to protect you, and so does anonymization, and so anything about you is held to a much higher standard and cannot be used without your explicit consent. It's, it's a powerful regulation. And here's the thing that's so exciting about it. So, so it's the Europeans, Canada, and I think a few other odd places like mm-hmm. the Isle of Man. Citizens in all of those nations will have the right to access all their data, which, as you were saying, is really important. Yes. Because everyone's medical record has errors in it, and some of them are going to be more terrible than others, and you do need to see them. You can access, download, object, and you can delete your data. It's like what we can do with credit reports, right? Yeah. And that's what, you know, I remember I testified uh, in uh, for uh, the, the senator, I forgot his name, uh, Bill whatever it was, uh, who is a senator from Florida, but I testified in Congress uh-huh. about a bill that he had introduced, but, uh, Bill Nelson. And, yes, yes, and, yes. and he had uh-huh. introduced a bill to try and do the same thing with all of our medical records as well as our financial records mm-hmm. other than mm-hmm. credit reports and, and oh. anything that, you know, any background check about us. Because oh, sure. Have, and it was a great bill. I testified. I thought it was wonderful. And it went by the de- bayside. You know, forget it. They didn't want to yeah. do it. And that's really unfortunate. But I like what's happening in Europe. And they, they say that our it, personal information belongs to us, not that's to right. the one who handles it, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, you know, and they... They come. They come from this in in a different place than we do. You're, you know, I'm sure you recognize, and many of your listeners do that. That a lot of the the data protection regimes in Europe really come directly from World War II. Yes, where the ability to track people and find them, as everyone knows, led to uh, you know genocide. Frankly, right, right, right. And so 
they're very, very particular about personal information now. And and, and now, uh, you know, personal information is even more important. It, it really, the right to keep personal information private is a human and civil right because in parts of the world, you know, with dictators or tyrants, having that information means they know exactly where you are, who you are, who your family is, and can imprison you or do worse. So it, we actually have to change the whole way the Internet operates and technology companies operate because, the, you know, the current business model, the, the biggest business model of the digital age is actually, you know, sucking up and collecting everything about you that can be found anywhere and putting it together into an incredibly, yeah. an, incredibly, an incredibly intimate portrait of you. And that just, it cannot work. It cannot work. And in our country and in modern democracies, you know, I don't think people are going to end up in jail or, or worse. But what does happen, and we do know happens, is massive hidden discrimination. Yes. Massive hidden discrimination, like you get a different uh, mortgage rate offer than me. You don't get over or offered a mortgage at all. Um, you get different prices for different things. When you apply for a job next to your name, if your if your future employer Google's you, there might pop up a button that says "Mari arrested." Yeah. You know, and so what would what would a future employee think if they were googling your name? And something like that showed up. They'd probably run for the hills. Yeah. And I want to go back to something you said that was so important, Deborah. Sure. You were talking about, you know, how de-anonymization doesn't work. De-identification doesn't work. And you were also talking about these huge dossiers and profiles Mm -hmm. on us. So, so for example, if I uh, go to my doctor in Laguna Niguel and I go Mm -hmm. to CVS in Laguna Niguel Mm -hmm. and I do certain things and there's this huge dossier on me, they could link all those things together and then put together oh that's Mari Frank and she lives in Laguna Niguel and her law office is in Laguna Niguel and ah that all those different links link back to her and it's been proven so many times the New York Times exposed that so so for those of you who are thinking well if they say it's anonymizing you know or it's de-identifying I'm okay just what you'd been talking about with these massive profiles on us they put everything together and I and then I can't get life insurance or I you know I can't get a house or I can't buy a car or whatever exactly exactly yeah. or or if you do they'll prey on you and the rates will be so exorbitant you know you put your you put your family at risk or your home at risk I mean uh, knowing exactly who you are is a is a huge problem and you know, actually, actually, it's been well known for probably, you know, two decades that by the computer scientists that this information can be re-identified sure. fairly easily. Yeah. But the problem is, again, so many companies are profiting from buying, selling, trading, and analyzing data about you. It, it is the major it's the major business model of the digital age, and they don't want to. They don't want it to go away. Yeah, yeah. They want to keep knowing you intimately. I mean, it, it, very intimately. Have you been reading about uh, the 
the TV screens that are yes. video yes. got fined by the Federal Trade Commission for yeah. listening to people's conversation. Yes. And and if it's if your if your Vizio or Samsung TV is in the bedroom, you might be saying, you know, yeah. you know, which pills are you taking? Did you take your medicine tonight for your, you know, this disease or you know. Uh, you could be talking about all kinds of things in front of your TV set, commenting about whatever's on there. But even the TV sets that people buy are spying on them. And all of this data is being sold and combined. I, just to give you one example, so um, IBM uh, Watson, which is trying to develop artificial intelligence to determine you know, how you should be treated when, when you're seen by a doctor. Right. They just bought another company called Truven for $2.1 billion because Truven has a huge amount of detailed data about, um, about many, many people, millions of people. But here's the thing, Mari, okay, if it costs $2.1 billion to buy to buy a set of data about lots of uh, lots of people in this country, don't you think that two point one billion dollars could have been enough to design technology to reach out and ask you, Mari, or me, if we would contribute our our let them uh, let them query our health data records, not take the records, but ask questions and and query our records to do research to discover. I don't know, things yeah, but that they don't might want lead to. to cancer. <laughs> exactly. But you see what I'm saying? Instead yeah. of buying the data for $2.1 billion, they could just as easily have set up a system to talk to us. Yes. Online or on our phones. In fact, Facebook, if you will, talks to, queries, or presents information to billions of people around the world all the time. It's actually not hard to reach people. Right, right. But well, and, I'm pretty. And, and I'm and sure that they're going to start uh, partnering more and more with Facebook, as which they're already starting to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, and, and so, Twitter. I mean, I don't know if your listeners know this, but there are entire departments at medical schools that are looking at people's Twitter feeds based mm. on which diagnoses they have and what pills they take to mm. see if they can predict things. And you know, in my field, you know that I'm a psychiatrist, yeah. right? Well, they were studying depression, so they. They looked at, I don't know, I think they found 5,000 people who tweeted that they had uh, depression, they had a doctor, they mm-hmm. took uh, medicine from a pharmacy, and they followed 5,000 people's tweets for two years. Mm-hmm. You know what they wanted to find out? What? The question, the research they were doing was they wanted to see, they wanted to see if they could predict who was going to kill themselves. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I was, I was... I was. Oh my I, it's it doesn't even make sense, okay? Because first of all, these are people that already have a doctor, yeah. or they couldn't have gotten a prescription. Right? Did what were these researchers thinking mm. that um, the the psychiatrists didn't know that people were suicidal? Oh my god! No, the vast majority of people do talk about it to their doctors or their. Yeah. You know, health professionals, they right. talk about it. It's a very small percentage of people who don't say that they're depressed and want to kill themselves. Very mm. small. 
So it's not like this is information the doctors don't have. That's probably why they were on the medicines to begin with. Why didn't the they problem think about is we don't have access to treatment. Yeah. Insurance doesn't pay for psychiatric care. We don't right. have a mental health system in this country. The problem isn't predicting who's going to kill themselves. The problem is giving people access to effective treatment. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. You would think they do research on what kinds of um, you know, help is the best, you know, yeah. get, get that kind of feedback. Oh. Yeah, no, it's it's um, it's, yeah, weird. it's really that we really don't have a mental health care system in this no. country. The 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 major place that people with serious mental illness and addiction are are in county jails or Cook or county homeless. Jail. You know, I mean, yeah, they absolutely. had some articles here in Orange County about absolutely. like they figured like seventy percent of the people who are homeless really have mental problems. It's true. It's, it's true. So it's sad. true. Well, even in Austin, Texas. Um, 75% of the people admitted to jail have a serious mental or yeah. um, addiction problem, and and our jail has over 600 people in it, and it has two and a half psychiatrists to treat 600 uh, people. Not likely to happen there. No, no. And um, Yeah, and so we... And then we've got know. these people then, you know, then on the other side, if they yeah. go ahead and they do something crazy, like, you know, go in and kill everybody in the school or in in a movie theater, mm-hmm. you know, then, then we say, oh, my God, look what's going on, you know? Oh, they, yeah. I no, mean, so many of those, uh, of, of the people, like, like the ones that you're talking about, really, really were seriously disturbed, but there's almost nowhere to get treatment in this country anymore. No. I mean, uh, I'm when I when I first went into practice in you know in uh, the late 70s, mental health and addiction treatment in this country got eight to ten percent of the healthcare dollar. Mm-hmm. But in the 1980s, after managed care was introduced, the percentage of, if you will, treatment facilities uh, professionals was reduced from 8 to 10% to 1 to 2% of the healthcare dollar. In other words, our mental health system was wiped out in the 1980s. And you can share as much information as you want with Twitter or with, or with you know, your care team in the hospital or, or you know, with your insurer. And, uh, you know, I don't see how anything's going to change when there, frankly, are no... Uh, prof- not enough, nearly enough professionals or places for people to get treated. No. I want to go back to something you started to bring up that I think yeah. is g- going to be a huge issue in the future, and that is how will, you were starting to talk about artificial yeah. intelligence. Yep. How do you think that's going to affect privacy and especially medical privacy? Well, artificial intelligence is designed to learn everything about you. I mean, if you think that it's impossible to re-identify or, uh, you know, make anonymous data personal, artificial intelligence is going to be another tool to link everything about you to you. Mm. Artificial intelligence is going to know it's you. You know, artificial intelligence can probably tell if you wrote that paper (laughs) or if you had help with it or if you, you know, farmed it out to somebody to write for you. I mean, there are so many ways that, Individuals can be recognized by a computer that that listens to how you talk constantly, sees and makes how you decisions write, about sees you. where you go, you know, knows what you prefer to eat. I mean, there's so many things about about us that are actually unique that would be great for us to know about ourselves. Right. 
And then, and of course, this artificial intelligence could make mm-hmm. um, could make decisions about us. Uh, well, that's the whole point. Yeah, it's like Minority Report. Remember that they were mm-hmm. that movie was great. It was like, oh my goodness, people thought, oh, that's crazy in the future. That can't happen, but it it really is right there. I mean, they could decide, okay, well, you have a propensity to um, kill somebody, so we're going to arrest you proactively. You know. Well, there's already been some of that in in uh, Great Britain. Mm. You know, the problem is some of these systems are can be loaded with prejudicial information. You know, you've you've right. probably been aware of this in the courts. You know, there are yeah. actually companies that are that are selling technology to courts uh, to predict who's gonna who's gonna fall back and commit crimes. Mm. But the problem is, if it's loaded up with who's already in jail, yeah, guess guess where that goes? It leads to Choosing more people who look like the ones that are already there. I mean, a lot. One of the big problems with artificial intelligence is detecting and preventing biases in right. the in the way that data is analyzed. Because otherwise, you just get something that tells you, you know, well, continues to perpetuate, shall we say, stereotypes, mm-hmm. and not, you know, and not. And, and, you know, isn't doing anything actually novel or predictive. But, yeah, I mean, the truth is, is, you know, there's a certain percentage of the population that's violent. And it, it turns out that actually people with mental illness are violent only about the same percent. So that's right. not a predictor. Right. But you would right. think from what's on TV right. that, that that's the main cause of shooters, if you will. Right, right. But it's not. Yeah. You know, I wanted to ask you, this is something like my my son wanted me to do um, a genetic, not a genetic test, but my DNA so he could find out, you know, about our, our genet, our, uh, you know, Mm-hmm. Genealogy, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I said no. <laughs> I said yeah. if you want to do it, you could do it. But of course, it's going to reveal mine as well. But mm-hmm. um, I said I don't feel good about that. He said, "Well, it's going to be anonymous, mom." So you know, of course, I didn't go for that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's what Twenty Three and Me says, but yeah. it's not. And and you know, this is a serious discussion our nation hasn't had yet. That genetic information is the most identifiable to you of all. Right. Even the NIH thought they had de-identified a genetic database and let uh, researchers, you know, bona fide academic researchers download it. But the 151st one said, by the way, we were able to uh, re-identify people and they shut it down. It's, it's not possible to do that. And so we really have to think much more carefully about genetic information. I mean, it's one thing if you could give away information about yourself and only you were affected. Right, right. You know, adults are allowed to to do things that might be, I don't know, risky in some cases or that others would never choose, but they don't, you know, they're not making other people, they're not putting other people at risk. But if you reveal genetic information, you are. You're revealing things that might harm other people or be prejudicial to other people. And right. And, and, and that's what I'm thinking, you yeah. know, they, they advertise on TV. You you know, yeah. oh, you thought you were Scottish, but you're really French or something like that. So he thought yeah. it was exciting. You know, the, the yeah, millennials think it's so exciting. And I said, Brian, you know, I'm really not comfortable. First of all, I don't believe that it's totally de-identifiable. And I don't know, right. what if they have a security breach? You know, what's going to happen? I'm not going to do it. You know, yeah, I'm just not right. going to do it. 
So he was a little disappointed with me, but he, you know, he finally said, but I think those people listening, you know, we're on the campus where people are driving by. We have a lot of millennials listening and they may be thinking, oh, it's so cool to find this out. But they don't think about the ramifications that I worry about that I know you worry about as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, I, I, I of course, think it would be fun, you know, to know all yeah. of these mixtures, you know. Sure. But frankly, most of us in this country, almost all of us, are mutts, you know. There's yeah. going to be something of everything. Yeah. But particularly when people, you know, begin to think that, I don't know, the, where you came from is is somehow destiny or uh, you know, it gets it, it can get real tricky. You know, when you're banning people from certain countries, right? You know, exactly. and what if what if what if there's some percentage of you that's from I don't know somewhere in the Middle East or right. somewhere from China or Russia that could cause or discrimination. Yeah, 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 yeah. And who and knows? The, and then and then of course the medical privacy issue. Once they have your DNA. They mm-hmm. can figure that out, too. Well, you know, Deborah, we are just out of time. I want to have you give your website, and we have to have you back really soon. We can't wait that long anymore. <laughs> I'd love to. Well, our website is www.patientprivacyrights.org, and I would invite your audience to also join in and listen to or attend for free the 7th International Summit on the Future of Health Privacy, and you can register at www.healthprivacysummit.org. It's June 1st and 2nd, 2017, in Washington, D.C., and you can watch it for free and hear all the experts talking about the problems of health privacy and the realistic solutions. Oh, you are just doing such great work. We love you, and we will have you back thank again. You. So, thank you so much for joining us. You're but, welcome. Bye bye. Bye bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning and visit our website at privacypiracy.org. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.